Well, hello, hello, and hello, hello again to everyone, and welcome back to the F World, an F1 deep dive podcast analyzing the races, the news, and all the drama surrounding the F1 circus. Uh, it's me, Taryn Midzane, your host of this hour or two that we have, uh, and of course, I'm always hosted and joined by my partner in crime, Marianne. Hello, hello, Mary- hello. Hello, hello. We're back, Marianne. We're, We're back. back. It's, it's been, been a while. A full month with racing and without racing. Uh, well, F one racing. There's been there's been some races going on in the racing world, but absolutely, yeah. A month without F one is it's it's kind of painful in some in some ways, right? But it's it's fun. But we have a, a new guest today. A, su- a surprise. It's not Walter, uh, we, though. We miss Walter. He'll be back eventually, and <laughs> and that. But we have uh, Keith Robinson from the sports car club of bc uh, a local racing and like kind of a group around uh, the province of british columbia who races here in the fraser valley at the mission raceway track it's but fun keith welcome to the show thanks darren thanks good afternoon well, good afternoon to you too it's been it's been a lot of fun you uh reached out we reached out with each other and communicated a bit and finally have you on and to talk about f1 you're you're uh, a self-proclaimed F1, well, not a self-proclaimed, but an F1 enthusiast yourself. An enthusiast, for yeah, sure. Yeah, had a long time. I see you're actually coming in. Walter, would, uh, our, our, our our third kind of co-host, uh, would freak out about your jacket that you're wearing because you have a Lotus uh, Renault jacket from back in, sounds like the long days. Long time early, back. Yeah, early it, was, days. it was a gift. I'm not c- quite sure which era it came from, but. <laughs> Lotus fan for many many years. So. Yeah, yeah. You uh, and obviously judging by the accent, you grew up in uh, the UK and England and have been uh, stuff. So why don't we just start with that? Work, break break down your like. How did you get into F one and and like what bring what brought you into racing in general? Uh, well, uh, when you're growing up in England in in the sixties, um, names like Colin Chapman and Jim Clark were like uh, Gretzky were to hockey hockey people in North America. Like Lotus was all powerful in Formula One, um, Jimmy Clark winning Indianapolis and World Championships, Graham Hill, guys like that. Um, I actually, as an apprentice, used to drive up to the Lotus factory and, and pick up parts because I worked in a Ford dealership and uh, when the first Lotus Cortinas came out in, uh, I'm aging myself here, but it's a, f- <laughs> it's a fact. Uh, I, I used to go as an apprentice and pick up parts for the Lotus Cortinas we were working on. And that was before Lotus moved out to the East Anglia part of England. They were still just north of London in a place called Chessent. So, long time. It's a long time, long time. And, and I, it's kind of, kind of, it's also kind of like, uh, like era pro because Lotus for a time almost got their car banned because they had such a good ground effect. Like well, technology, when, it, when ground effect first was kind of coming into F1 back in like a long time in like yeah. the 70s and 80s. Well, Lotus essentially ruled the 60s and, and 70s. I think the car you might be referring to was the 88, and it, it was a really special car. The whole bodywork of that car dropped down onto the track mm-hmm. when it went out on the track. It, it got banned immediately. Yeah. <laughs> but Colin Chapman was most ticked off because it was a brilliant piece of design. Yeah. What you had to do in the day was you had to drive over a, a, a piece of wood before you went out on the track, and your car had to have that ground clearance. Well, when the car got out on the track, everybody noticed that all of a sudden the ground clearance had disappeared <laughs> because the whole bodywork of the car just dropped down as soon as it had air pressure on the top of it. 
Yeah. yeah. So they so brought it back in and they realized what it was and said, no, that ain't going to work. Take it away. So. So, yeah. And that was kind of like the end of ground effect in general for, for a bit of time? Or was that just the catalyst of what uh, took it, away ground effect? It was effect? just another one of those things that, that Colin Chapman came up with that got banned. You know, He, he got banned from Le Mans at one time for some wheels <laughs> that he was working with. I mean, he, he was the, the absolute uh, flawed genius. Yeah. You know, he, mm. he was a genius. And people say, well, it wasn't always him. It was people he employed. Well, that was true to a certain extent. But a lot of the stuff that Lotus did came off a pencil and paper that Colin Chapman was playing around with. You know. Yeah, and especially, like, like, there's so much you can say about everyone's employment. But if you don't have someone with the vision and the direction to guide them to what you want, then how do you know? Like, it's, it's all over that, down to that vision. And kind of kind of nice uh, kind of segue you gave me about Lamont and, and Chapman because – uh, over the last weekend or so, the World Endurance Championship happened, and there was a new race in uh, Portiamo. So, congratulations to the Toyota team that won that won that. And then, yeah, there's also all sorts going on. W, like Croatia uh, happened. Yes, actually, yeah, yesterday was Sunday, so Croatia finished up. Yesterday was Sunday. Yesterday was Sunday. That is correct. It was a race day for a few things. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> WRC Croatia happened, and the the British driver Evans for the again a Toyota team. Yeah, the, the quick little GR Yaris one. You're fascinated by that Yaris. It shouldn't. It's the hot it's been hatch looking... of the hot hatches. Okay, it's so much fun to see Toyota do well. For those who didn't need to know, but now you know, Taryn's been looking at pictures of the Yaris all morning. <laughs> well, it, like, <laughs> yeah, like almost six out of, six out of the top ten in Croatia were the GR Yaris. Yeah. You know how impressive that is? It's very impressive. Like the, Keith, you get it. I well, just... You get yeah, it. Yeah, but maybe they're making up for their Formula One attempts a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, ex- oh, exactly right. It wasn't quite so impressive. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was not. Speaking of Formula, though, there were actually two Berlin E-Prix for Formula E. Uh, one on Saturday that uh, Mitch Evans and Sam Bird of the Jaguar team finished uh, P1 and P2. Fantastic little races. And then another one on Sunday that Nick Casty from Envision Racing, uh, who had a really good run in the first race on Saturday, but kind of had some bad, uh, weird misplays of, of their how they do their quick zones and, and, and somewhat pissed off to a point. And just really weird. Uh, how, how Formula E works as a race has some fun, like back and forth with who gets in the lead and not. Actually, so Nick Cassidy in his race win on Sunday, there was nine racers that took P that were in P one at a different time in that race. Okay, at a different time. Yeah, all there I was going to say. How does that work? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nine nine people were in P one at different during that that forty lap race. Yeah, and just the one who's left in P ten, it's a tie for everyone else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Nick, it, it is really funny because Nick Cassidy actually. Um, he went back and forth and he actually didn't take P1 to win the race until like nearly the end of the, I think it was like the second to last lap. That's when he got back into P1 yeah. to win. And yeah, all I can say is as I watch more Formula E, the more I get fascinated with it. It's a fun, they're very quick, fun little races, speedy little, the, the, the cars just kind of dart, dart out in and out to overtake. There, there was over like a hundred overtakes in 40 laps and that's, they're, 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 and that's of it's the sound for me. I can't. I, I tried. I tried to watch it, Taryn. I, I did, know, but I know you did. I just, I need. I'm. I need the rumble of the engine, <laughs> and I just can't take it seriously when they all sound like lightsabers, just zooming around a track. Yeah, it's yeah. just. Yeah, <laughs> like, Keith, have, have you seen any? Keith, 
<laughs> How do you feel about Formula E? <laughs> mm. As, so, I, what I, from what I'm understanding, you're trying to tell us there were many lead changes. Is that what you were getting? Yeah, at? it's yeah. it's they're very it's a very like coming coming watching a lot of Formula One and watching a lot of other uh, um, like race, races throughout the last like month and so. And you know, Vancouver almost had a had an E Prix, and then the promoter screwed up a whole bunch that we lost it. Long story. Uh, that uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I I went through a a deep dive on it, and it actually got to the point where the city of Vancouver refused to comment to my when I would email about them mm-hmm. because I was asking questions that the promoters gave me and then they both were like no we're not gonna comment anymore it's like mm-hmm. oh okay well that story's not done but I'll come back next year um but so as as our residents as our as our racing expert of of the time where's where's mm-hmm. your stance on like do you understand that it's just a fun little races or are you like Mary where you need to have smell the gasoline and and a bit of both but you know i mean the era i came from the idea of running an electric motor in your car was you know that's what you use to start the real engine yeah Mm, mm, yeah. i i watched one of the first epris um a huge alain prost fan from many years back and his son was racing in one of the early epris and and it was just a massive pileup at the first corner and all you could hear was squealing tires and uh I mean, racing's racing. If if it's a golf cart, uh, a golf cart, or um, you know, scooters or whatever, racing is racing. The competition, um, but obviously, I prefer where there's a little bit of sound. Mm-hmm. I mean, a V12 Ferrari to me is yeah, there's nothing to compare with that. So. Right. I'm not, not disagreeing. Right. You guys are saying it, making it sound like as if I disagree with you guys on that. I don't. I totally mm-hmm. get it. But like you said, racing is racing, and the spectacle of car racing is always fun for me. But nothing's sound- I I'm more of a V10 guy. I love that that like screaming. I was watching like, something the other day where they they had about uh, eight or ten different engines through the era. You know, right from the Ford DFE engine from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and there was a lot of good sounding engines. But I still don't think there's much to beat the V12. Yeah, the V12. Nat- the naturally aspirated V12 is. Uh, you know, we get them at the track from time to time. People bring them there to do really? lapping, lapping days. Yeah. So funny. Speaking of the naturally aspirated V12, one of my favorite cars ever is the McLaren F1, mm-hmm. which historically is really kind of ironic because uh, Gordon Murray mm-hmm. openly admits that he never designed the car to be a race car. He wanted it to just be a, an experience yeah, that you feel, and then it ended up going 390 kilometers an hour and broke almost every production car record ever and he's like well that was kind of just what happened yeah. but do you ever get those like do, have you ever do you get one on the track every now and then uh, no no we get oh. mclarens there all the time but not yeah. f1s i mean they're 20 million dollar cars you're not gonna yeah. get too many of those driven around so <laughs> yeah, no, most of them are in museums or in art collections you can, you can hope you can hope well maybe but he's got a new car now so he's got the g50 or whatever yeah so. the the that. And then there's the one that has the fan. Yes. It has yeah. a fan that got taken out. Yeah. Like, well, so he was the original designer of the fan car Brabham uh, back back in the day. Yeah, and you probably you got a chance. Did you see that one? Did it ever actually race? Oh, yeah. yeah. It raced. It won one race. It won the race so convincingly that uh, Formula One people, including Bernie Ecclestone, went to Gordon Murray and said, listen, you know, I'm the Brabham team, and said, you're going to ruin Formula One. Like, nobody can catch you. Mm. So they agreed to not run it anymore. 
Mm-hmm. And like the fan, the fan like worked really well. Oh yeah, it just like, sucked the car to the ground. Yeah, and so. But then, see, here's one of the Colin Chapman stories. He started going to the officials and saying that it was dangerous because the drivers were getting hit by the debris, uh, hit by the debris coming off the fan. Uh, to which a couple of the drivers that were, were at the track and doing the driving said that was that was just an excuse to get rid of the car. Yeah, mm. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of fun. But actually, to to kind of go back to F. E. There was yep. a fun. Well, I say fun, but it wasn't really that fun. Uh, I can't remember if it was the Sunday or the Saturday races race, but there was an interesting little environmentalist pro, like protest, which I like. I don't know what it was for, but if there's going to be an environmental protest to do, do you do it at Formula E? Out of all the racing to other other ones, you know the one that's like that's pretty much a net zero eco eco emissions. For like the race days and that, like, is that the one you do? Seems it's to me you're uh, preaching at the choir at that point, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm so, just wondering. So, fun fact. Oh. Fun fact. Yes. Actually, no. Oh no. Yeah. So, looking at carbon emissions, right? We've reduced uh, carbon emissions for internal combustion engines in the past thirty years so much that we're not looking at comparing an electric car to, you know, a 30-year-old Oldsmobile anymore. We're looking at comparing it to nowadays cars, which have much lower emission. And if you look at the building of the battery component itself, it's actually so much worse for the environment. So oh. two, two minerals that are used, I'm just going to break it down really quickly because I'm, I'm excited about this. Two, um, two minerals that are in a electric battery, uh, lithium-ion batteries that are known, are cobalt and lithium. Now, cobalt gets its name from a German term for a devilish little goblin in the mountains. Because in the 1600s, miners who were mining for silver started to find cobalt instead. And while they were trying to process the cobalt, they would get poisoned. And so... They saw it as the goblin of the mountain trying to protect the rest of the rich minerals by giving them this false silver, right? And they named it after the cobalt, which was the, the name of the goblin. Now, cobalt is extremely dangerous to mine, extremely hard to mine, and is done right now. 60% of the world's cobalt comes from um, the Congo, mined by adults and children, you need about 10 to 20 pounds of cobalt in one electric car. Oh, what? Yeah. That's a lot. That is a lot. And, um, and it's 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 terribly poisonous environment. Now look at lithium, the other ingredient, which the battery gets its name from, lithium ion, right? You need approximately 12 kilograms of lithium in your average Tesla. The mining and processing of which completely disrupts entire ecosystem in South Africa. It takes 2.2 million liters of water, which is already a scarce resource, to make one ton of lithium. And it's just poisonous to the environment. So is is it silly to protest the way that they protested? Absolutely. I'm not one for any sort of disturbance protest. I like my protests to be, you know, calm and civilized, not hindering on other people's livelihoods or people who are just trying to have a good day at the racetrack. But was it silly to do it at Formula E? 
considering that today as it stands, electric cars are can be considered worse for the environment than your typical petrol one? I don't know. It kind of so it kind of adds up and makes sense in the It makes sense. Then. So yeah, it makes just, sense. Just it's not, not as silly as you would think. Yeah, just not lying in front of the cars and hoping they don't just start the race and No, I'm against you, but... any of that sort of protesting anyways. I'm yeah. I'm very much, you know, if you're going to protest something do it in a civilized manner. Don't don't impede your will on other people's trying to go about their day. Fair enough. You know, no matter what the cause is, whether it's a good cause or not, if someone's trying to just live out their day and you're interrupting it. Yeah. It's kind of kind uh, of not a great move. I think you got to consider what protest is about. I mean, any time in history if you want to go back to Gandhi or or anybody, any of the people that have changed anything in the world, um, you've got to do it. You've got to swing the pendulum completely in the other direction. If you're upsetting somebody's day that's out just wanting to watch a race, so be it. That's the only way you're ever going to get noticed. So mm -hmm. it, I, I didn't see point. the I didn't see the particular protest that you're talking about. But if you stand and have a nice mild protest out of everybody's way, nobody's going to listen. Mm -hmm. You stand in front of a tank in the middle of Tian Tiananmen Square, people are going to notice. Mm -hmm. so and people have noticed. That's a very, very famous yeah. picture, too. Yeah, yeah. And it, and no, like, that's fair. And it definitely worked because we're having this conversation now about it. And I really did not know about yeah. that much cobalt and how well, they... I think that's fascinating because, you know, whether you agree or disagree with electric cars, and I, I've, I've driven one, I have no problems with it. Would I race one? No. Is, is that my, what my racing is about? No, it's not, but I have no problem with people racing them. But the background of the electric car, that's what has to be looked into because everybody's looking at the green electric mm -hmm. without looking at what it takes to get that car onto the road. Yeah. I think the more and more that that comes to people, to the average person's notice, you know, the children thing in Africa, that I've, you know, you've seen that quite a few times now, where all this dangerous material is coming from, how much of it is going to be used, it's all got to be debated. It has to be part of the whole discussion. Mm -hmm. And, like, I've always been a, a person who's who said that I think that almost everyone's daily driver should be electric at this point. Almost, like, like there should be a carbon tax of if you want a sports car or that, but, like, a lot of the your Honda Civics and that should be electric. But then what well, I recently... Are you, are you going to say that having just... Listen. Yeah, I was gonna but, say. Uh, yeah, I was, Maria's saying. Uh, yeah, I was actually. I was actually just. That was my, my next point. Right? Was was that after hearing that, I don't want that anymore. Yeah, no. go for a little Honda Civic. Yeah, like and 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 like I I knew about the lithium lithium story because uh, about a maybe not quite a year ago. I think it was like in the in the last summer or before. I heard that there was a some big like deep sea mineral mining that one of the the people who created the technology said. I know this is going to destroy the ecosystems of these places, but EV technology needs to happen to save our eco, to save our, our environment. And I, I was kind of I like, don't agree with that. Yeah. Which that. is ridiculous. I've, there are pictures. I, I encourage anyone who has not seen a picture of a lithium field to go look at it. It's shocking. It's, it's such unnatural colors because it's these big square ponds that line out for, kilometers and kilometers of just the most electric yellow green and blue 
but like not not the nice like you know clear lake blue but like that electric it looks like poison blue yeah the the electric the, the sulfur blue yeah the, right? the colors you see at like a nightclub in the night squares for miles it's yeah. just ridiculous yeah like it's 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 a it's a crazy topic and it, and it's a crazy just to actually see it like what yeah. what needs to happen to get these green cars is is quite scary and it's why i always push now for hydrogen cell fuel cells i like what hyundai's doing i love the fact that they have a hydrogen fuel cell car that has apparently 900 horsepower toyota is working on hydrogen as well yeah. toyota's doing the same thing and you're starting to see their kind of hybridization of that with with their um i think like right now they're working on some hydrogen powered batteries that are in that are starting to come into their world their endurance cars uh championship cars and you see how well they're doing they've won there's only been like two races but they've been the top of the pack the entire time and all throughout their testing so i i'm of the hydrogen fuel cell now and i used to be like pro Mm -hmm. electric until i saw lithium and just hearing the cobalt's pretty distribution of the fuel is the problem with hydrogen you know how Mm -hmm. are you going to get that to the people out in yeah. the, the mid- Midwest of the United States or, or whatever. Anyway, yeah. that's the problem with hydrogen. Yeah. I think it's by far the, the cleanest, greenest way to go, but you got to have the infrastructure. And then the other problem, obviously, is how do we transport it and use it without it blowing up? Because it can blow up very, very quickly. Well, yeah. Any, anything under pressure. You know. Yeah. But I guess like that's just that's what just makes you come alive, right? That's mm. the danger. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's the like. That's the excitement ah, of driving. Yeah. Will like, my gonna, car blow up? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, I I drove two cars where I had to have that fear every single time I drove it. My '96 Ford Probe and my 2014 Chevy Cruze. I did not know if that car was going to melt on me any every any time I drove it. And by gosh, did I enjoy driving every single time I drove. Um, I don't always recommend it to everyone, but I mean, like, if you're at a point where you're racing in a, a hydrogen fuel cell car, that's like you it's understand very carpet the risk. Yeah, you know, you s- if exactly. I'm, if I'm parachuting, I expect a little danger, but you, not getting in my car. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean, I thought yeah, that's that my gonna... purpose, but, <laughs> but that's, you're not parachuting every day. That's yeah. Exactly. Could you imagine the commute? Yeah, How, <laughs> yeah Keith. I, I actually want. Like, look this up because i forget what the car is actually called while this, you this look this up i have a question for keith as an englishman Canadi- who are you canadian cheering for born in england so. okay as a canadian english who who are you cheering for um with formula one this season oh uh, several people i mean lewis is an obvious one Yes. See, Lando, there we go. Lando Norris. Don't get me started. <laughs> Lando Norris, Charles, um, Russell, George Russell. I mean, there are so many brilliant drivers out there yeah. today. And all my absolute, the one I would like to see win the world championship once more, Alonso. Thank you. Everyone wants Alonso to win. He's, he's been a. Fa- I was. I was just looking up something on the internet just before I came here. Very famous race, and I. I watched it on television. It was the first time that Alonso in the Renault, the blue and yellow Renault, had Michael Schumacher, arguably greatest Formula One driver of all time, on his transmission for the last 12 laps of the race, and he won that race. And the day I saw Alonso do that, I recognized this guy is unbelievable. Uh, Such a talent. And that was 2005. The guy's still there. Amazing, Mm -hmm. amazing driver. Mm -hmm. It really just goes to show 
one the ways these cars have gone now that at at 42 years of age or soon to be 42 years of age mm-hmm. fernando can still drive the way he is yeah. but also the the i was going to talk about this in other sports like specifically like uh like basketball and hockey that the sports technology of learning the body and the biomechanics of of health and the and and body and, and the mental game that's in sports these days has has changed so much even in the last five years that it's it's great to see a sport that allows someone to yeah. drive as long as they want to drive really well that, that's another amazing thing about some of these guys you know lewis hamilton kimmy rankinen um uh, what's his name massa you know these mm. guys that were around for 20 years the technology has come forward in such an incredible amount the fact they can still drive these cars i find amazing and to be able to drive them competitive like Alonso. I mean, a 22-year-old, you expect to know all the technology and, and all the buttons. But you look at the amount of buttons on the wheel of his 2005 car, it might have been two, you know, one mm-hmm. for the radio and one for something else. But the fact they can still drive those vehicles, I find amazing. I just want to see how much... Uh, I wonder if that doesn't play into it, though, the other way around as an advantage in the sense that, like... For Alonzo, the buttons came in like one or two at a time, right? Uh, Whereas for a rookie to come in today, you know, they have to learn a whole new gaming console. (laughs) But but then they have, you know, been on the simulator for God knows how many hours before they're getting the real car. That is fair. Yeah. Yeah. There is, so in the 2005, there was a total of 12 buttons. In the 2023 steering wheel, there is a total of 25 are any of those dials because yeah, yeah. they say 25 that plays into it they they do say 25 d- dials Controls, and buttons yeah. for yeah. the 2023 yeah, yeah. but on the tw- 2005 it only says 12 buttons yeah. and on the pictures as i count them i can only count 12 yeah. there so, you go yeah but i mean i'm not counting the panel shifters but like no. yeah. but even back then, you know i i used to love watching the in-car camera with with Schumacher I oh. mean, his, the way he controlled the car and how little he moved the steering wheel and, and how incredibly accurate he was. And then you'd see his hand, usually his left hand, move a control going into a particular corner. And then another corner, he'd move another control. You know, to remember which control you need for which corner, you know, bias of braking, bias of the differential or whatever. Uh, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then when he was interviewed after the race, he'd be talking about things. I just watched the the race on television, he'd remember more about the race having been out there. Like yeah. The guy was incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's, it's, I remember when I first watched um, interviews with Roman Grosjean and then also some re-watching some of them when he did Drive to Survive, when he starts talking about the how he calculates the distance mm-hmm. where he's like, yeah, I know that this corner is coming up at like in within mm-hmm. 0.2 seconds. So I know that 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 is 200 meters for me and my body weight is this without g-force now with this much g-force this is a g-force this is a g7 corner so i know it's going to be about seven times this i was just mentally doing this and just talking as if oh everyone does this this is just what we talk about <laughs> this is no big deal for for us yeah. i'm just saying like how do you calculate that while also going 200 kilometers into this corner, while knowing that there's a guy right next to you doing the same thing, and they're they think of five different things at a time as they take this corner, and then not hit each other and, and kill each other and die. Like yeah. that's that's it's, nuts. It's like talking to racing astronauts. 
Really, yeah. you know, you have to have a degree in physics as well as being the best pinnacle shape you've ever been. Yeah, you're, you're just really a giant math nerd when you go behind a wheel, <laughs> wheel behind this. Uh, the whole G-force thing is, is quite fascinating. You know, when we do our, our driver schools and we get people come to the track, one of the first questions I ask people when I'm getting in the car to drive on the track, you know, are you okay if we drive the car fairly quickly? Oh yeah, 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 you know, I, you know, particularly <laughs> the young guys, you know. Oh yeah, I've driven, you know, whatever. And the first time down into turn one, the G-force with the braking and the turning, you know, their hands are forward and their feet are forward and their eyeballs are growing bigger. Just going fast is anyone can do that. You just press your foot on the gas pedal. Yeah. But the braking and the turning, and we don't even get close to one G. Mm-hmm. And these guys are. 5G and you know it's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, th- I think like one. I think this year they hit nine. Yeah. They're hitting nine Gs into corners in yeah. some parts yeah. or like. Well, you got four thousand pounds pressing you down onto the ground. Yeah, but it's still just like you, you it's an impressive about. feat of like what their bodies have to go through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, the, their shoulders and necks <laughs> just always yeah. always get me a little bit right. Uh, but you, okay, so Keith, you mentioned a couple times now, you've been hinting in that, you know, you are part of the Sports Car Club of BC, you're the VP of Operations, and you do uh, driving schools and driver training and driver training for, for racing here in the Fraser Valley. Yeah, uh, that, that's correct. Yeah. Sports Car Club has been that uh, mission now for uh, over 25 years, <laughs> and uh, we do two driver training schools each year. Yeah. We just had, uh, in March, we had 23 people through the driver school. But so twenty three people coming in, are, are many are many of them very experienced when they first come, or is it kind of like a refresher for those who have been around racing for a while? Or do you get just green boys and green girls out who've never been in a race car like that fast, and they just have a fascination they want to do it? Our school, um, presuming you get the st- certificate at the end of the two days of uh, on track sessions, there's a classroom session as well, and there's an exam because you have to know the flags and all the communications of racing. Assuming you get that, then you qualify to, uh, to get a novice race license from the uh, from CACC. That's the sanctioning body for racing, like the FIA is for Formula One. Mm-hmm. And we usually get about 5 to 10% of the people that come to the track actually go on to race. 90, 95% of the people that come just want to have the experience and to learn about driving quickly. And the amount of people that go away after the school, you know, when they're leaving with a big smile on their face, it, we, we hear it time and time and time again about how much they learnt and how much it will help them just driving on the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I have a question. Mm-hmm. For these um, driving courses, uh, do people need to bring their own vehicle? And then how do they, if so, how do they then get into, like, more of the... Um, like formula-style racing vehicles? Okay, the, the school is open to any road, le- road legal vehicle. So you're just your normal vehicle, regular seat belts. We check everything before you go on the track. We make sure that your brake's in good condition, your tires, make sure that everything is bolted down, battery is secure, things like that. So we do a, a technical check on your car or if you borrow your mother's car or whatever. But... Anything street legal is good for driver training because the driver training is not about ultimate speed. It's about where you position the car. You know the difference between an apex and an exit of the turn. You know how to brake, late braking, threshold braking. 
it's all about that. The only thing you need to bring is an up-to-date helmet. You have to have a helmet that's within mm, seven years old now, I guess it is. Okay. Two, 2015 mm. is an SA helmet. That's what you need. So After that, sky's the limit uh, with what you want to bring to the track next. When you say, like, any street legal car right mm -hmm. i'm thinking of my mother's car and um it's a gl350 so it's pretty high up is there any height limitation like trucks or suvs um for any possibilities of like tip overs it's a really interesting point because for many years we said no suvs no pickup trucks the fact of the matter is now that some of the suvs are dual purpose vehicles are incredibly good what we look for now, and we've just started this quite recently, is we look at the tests that have been done on these cars to see what the liability is of rollover. I haven't even looked at these figures yet, but I know the gentleman that was in charge of our uh, driver training this year was looking at specifications because we had a couple of SUVs. We had uh, a Honda Element. We had, uh, you know, the Porsche Cayenne comes up. Mm -hmm. These vehicles are now, we do now allow these vehicles to take driver training. Has there been an SUV, I'm specifically thinking of the Porsche Cayenne and, and, uh, and the, um, the Aston Martin that's come up. Have you seen, has there been SUVs or crossovers that have really like taken you, like blown you away with how fast and well balanced they are on, on tracks and which, which one specifically? No. No, nothing no, like Because the difference between the road and the track is, like I was saying earlier, People think they drive quickly on the road. You know, they might go quickly in a straight line. Yeah. But once, my favorite question, is, or when I ask these people, well, I drive quickly all the time. I said, okay, so you go down into this corner at 80 kilometers an hour. Now you've got to get around the 30 kilometer an hour corner. Try that. You know, it's downshift, 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 downshift. Yeah, down a little shift. more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, like we were saying about shifting or automatic, you know, you can take the course in an automatic, but. I don't see that you can have that much fun. I yeah. mean, you could still pass the course driving an automatic as long as you're driving what we call the line where mm. you break into a, a particular point and you turn into the apex of the corner and you leave the corner using all the track. We will still pass you because we still realize you know how to drive. Mm -hmm. But bring a vehicle that's got a, a stick where you can actually change gears. Have some fun. Yeah. 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 Like that's like there's nothing quite like hearing the high revs when you go down yeah when you when you when you, da when you downshift and you get them higher up and you know you're going to power through that corner and then get yeah. back into it there's yeah. nothing there's no feeling quite like it yeah and, well, and how about healing and towing you know all about that right to a point like it's been a long time since i've since i've uh since i've passed the, this this course before so well, marie's family is, she, her family is saying she, you know they've been involved in uh, racing and and truck driving which interestingly enough is 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 a real art to being able to drive a, a truck yeah. properly. My, yeah. mom's, my mom's told me her stories of, because her entire family are truck drivers, and then even though she wasn't, that's how she learned to drive, was with the truck driving schools. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and apparently back in, uh, I guess this would have been like the 70s or 80s, late 70s probably yeah. is when she was learning to drive. Um, yeah, the... The school that, or the the person teaching her, would have the pedals on their side, mm. and she mm. just had the steering wheel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I prefer to have both myself. Mm. Right. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. These, these guys are shifting 16 gears, you know, yeah. not yeah. Like just five or six. It's or insane. Yeah, the, the high and low. Yeah, the differential ranges and all the rest of it. There's an art to driving one of those. Yeah, yeah no, it's uh, my, my friend's uh, stepdad is a, is a lawn, was was mm-hmm. a long distance uh, trucker. And mm-hmm. So I asked him, how many gears do you have? He's like, oh, about like 25. Yeah, in my in my new truck these days, yeah. it's like and it really depends because some yeah. some the last like five or six I don't even touch if I'm depending on what I'm hauling. Yeah, it's like what the mm-hmm. yeah you have to know which ones you have to know which which bracket of low gears you have to go into too. Yeah. It's like oh my gosh, there's so much stuff. But yeah, um, helium towing. It's funny because when I first got my racing license, like I'm the only one in my family that has it. Um, all my all my brothers like love their top gear, like, love the the cars and racing sports mm-hmm. as well. But I'm the only one that really went and got it. I remember my friends used to say, "Oh, your 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 foot position is really bizarre when we drive. It's because I'd have because I would heel and toe it mm-hmm. on my brake, my my accelerator and brake. Like, yeah, this is just like what you. It became second nature. Mm-hmm. And then now that I haven't done it for so long, I found I find that I still every now and then have to fix my leg mm-hmm. when I take the long distance drives up to um, Quenell to see my mom. It's so uncomfortable." when you heel and toe it for so long <laughs> for the, when you do this five hours of your six hours do, do in that position that's mm-hmm. i don't recommend it but mm-hmm. i mean you you apply the brakes really well when you're going down the canyon one of the an aspect i want to talk, talk to you 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 mentioned that so many people come out of the course becoming better road drivers themselves mm-hmm. what what were the lessons that that you teach or what what do they say has were the ones that really impacted them the most and learning how to drive better and safer and then obviously be have fun on the track the one the one exercise that i get involved in almost every time is our pylon exercise uh, on the main straight which is on the exit of the drag strip we put 20 20 cones down about 20 feet apart and we have a guy standing at or or girl whatever person standing at the other end with a yellow flag and we tell people to drive through the cones, slalom through the cones, left gate, right gate, left gate, right gate. When the flag goes up, they have to miss a gate. And what we're trying to demonstrate here is when you're driving, you should be aware of everything that's around you. Of course, we teach about mirrors and mirror placements and so yeah. forth. But when you're going forward, and they say particularly when you're on the freeway and you've got cars ahead of you, the idea is to be able to be aware of what's around you. You should be looking up four or five cars ahead of you. You should not be looking at the taillights of the car immediately ahead of you. When you see brake lights four or five cars up, you know what's happening next. You shouldn't be waiting until the car immediately ahead of you does something. So um, I find that people, after four or five times through the slalom, they get better, like it's almost immediate. And we say to people, like, this is what you should be doing, not looking at the trunk of the car ahead of you. Look way down the track. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from racing, obviously, you know, you, you, you're going down into turn one and there's 12 cars around you. You need to know what's around you. You need to be able to look to see if there's an incident ahead of you. You want to be able to see it a long time before the car ahead of you stops. Mm-hmm. Distances within the mirrors, too. Yeah. The awareness around you. I, I'm amazed with the amount of people that do not have their mirrors adjusted properly or don't use their mirrors. Can't, yeah. can't back up using mirrors. I, I, it just amazes me the amount of people that can't do that. It, it's a really an obvious thing to be aware of what's around you. Mm-hmm. Like, 
occasionally I get chastised by a passenger, usually my girlfriend, like, well, you didn't look behind you. Well, I know what was behind me because I've been looking in the mirrors all the time. Yeah, that was that was something that my mom was very adamant when she was teaching us. And um, I remember like really hating it and finding it annoying mm-hmm. um, until I, I then got a, a job as a valet for the service bay of BMW. And they had moved it to like this little parking garage where we had to triple row oh, the parking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the, these are customer cars. I can't scratch any of them. And I, I, I was so grateful for the way my mom taught me because she would not, when we were learning how to drive, she would not let us turn our heads. Right. right. You had to be able to see everything from the mirrors. And, you know, back then, not all cars had the like backup cameras and definitely not the ones that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was you weren't allowed to turn your head and you had to be able to parallel park and back up and back up on a circuit. Too. <laughs> she, well, she was interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very like, no. Again, Keith, every single time. If you if you come, hopefully you'll come back more. But every time you talk to Marianne, you learn something new <laughs> about her. <laughs> I've I've in the last like I don't know ever since we started the show, I learned that you were like an you were you're you've been you went to school for engineering for a while first. You you I don't know what you I don't I know never what you, finished. You never finished. But I never like, finished. Yeah yeah you you self learned that. But now you're now you're a val- a valet driver. This is like driving BMWs, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like too. Nepotism like, got me into that job. Yeah. By that the way, that, does, look, that doesn't that matter. Speaks that, nothing to that. That doesn't matter. <laughs> the, the point is, is that there's always some new trivia that you pull out of your your magi- magician's hat of your life and you give it to us. And it's almost to the point where we need, I need to start making a game. For the sh- for the show, yeah. And what just, hasn't know, she been? Yeah, horse like, carriage like, driver yeah. stamp, yeah. <laughs> valet yeah. stamp, a horse driver, a horse carriage driver, because she didn't have a job in Montreal. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like just woke up one day. Oh, I'll do, I'll do it for for a quick paycheck and that. Yeah. Well, no, they 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 gave me they gave me two weeks training and then oh. and then I got a license, a- an actual like with your face and everything hypomobile license is what it's called. That's amazing. And uh, and yeah. For the- for a horse carriage? For a horse carriage. Oh, so this is one horsepower. You that, I know, one horsepower. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> but so they don't they don't require those licenses outside of Quebec. Hmm. Um so I was also a horse carriage driver in Ottawa for some time, never needed a license there. Hmm. But in Quebec you need an actual like hypomobile license hmm. where it's just like your driver's license, but it's like at the time it was orange and white. Mm-hmm. Very colorful, Love and uh, and yeah, mm-hmm. you can drive horses with that. Well, Keith, you mentioned that, that you do one or you do a couple driving schools throughout the year. The first one just happened, right. so when's the second one? Because then Marianne can do that. Oh, June. Okay, so Marianne, you'll go to June and become a race car driver for and just to <laughs> add on to the next trivia just of your life. Complete the bingo. <laughs> the comment was made about uh, you know getting into racing and the expense and so forth. Bear in mind that once you've got your license, there are cars that can be rented. Think you so can rent. Know? You can rent a Miata. Mm-hmm. You can rent a sports racer. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, it's it is not definitely not cheap, but you don't need a trailer. You don't need to be able to tow the car yourself. You don't need a garage. Mm-hmm. You just, yeah. You just turn up with. You do have to buy all your own safety gear, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
but there but are, then you get there to are rental places so, out but there. But so that, that's kind of a benefit because you get to personalize your racing gear. You get to like do that. I've always wanted to race with a helmet with a skull on it. Just like where where my face would be, just just a skull. So what my like, welding skull looks like. That's what the, yeah, I've always wanted to do that. That'd be so much. So so wait, um, it's street legal cars for the driving school. Correct. But once you have the license, can you drive non street legal cars? Yes. <sighs> this might be fun. Which car are you going to pick? I don't know. I don't know. Well, here's the, here's the thing. From my background, right? Like I've done um, reckless driving. <laughs> as as we've discussed before we, we don't promote and, that uh, no no not at all and um because where i learned to drive and uh just where we were at the time the only track that was nearby and we still went on the weekends was just a drag strip hmm. and as you say like going in straight lines is very different than when you have a circuit and everything and you don't need a, a racing license for the drag strips you can just show up on the weekend. They'll stamp a number on the side of your car, and off you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I've been fascinated by the idea of learning to actually drive like a race car. So that's why I'm I'm very questions. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. if you if you go on the uh, Sports Car Club website and you look um, scroll down, you will find clubs that run lapping days. Now you can turn up with your mother's car, and it's street legal. And as long as you've got that helmet, that you must have the legal helmet, you don't need anything else, you can do lapping days. You're not racing against anybody. You start out as a novice in a novice group, so you can be lapping the track Yeah. and learning how to drive around the track before you do your first rental. Mm-hmm. And That'd that be interesting. About the helmet, I have another question. What about um, soft tops or convertibles? Mm. I imagine those are... No goes. No go. No, no go. No. Is there is there a specific reason? Debris. Debris. Okay. Debris. <laughs> I, I figured I just you know people <laughs> listeners may not know. So, this no, this is what would scare me is debris. <laughs> no, not debris. Debris. It's an insurance consideration. So oh when, yeah, when we're as well. Running, running the school. Yeah. If and I, I you know I've been going to the track twenty five years now. We've never had anybody at, at the driver school end up upside down oh well right. that would be another one your <laughs> let me be your first yeah. that would be that would be the one yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm more thinking about something flying at me from oh, like no 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 you've got yeah. the windshield in front of you so. exactly. not like a motorcycle You're, it's not like a motorcycle yeah. do you guys do motorcycles we don't but the the um uh, westwood uh, club uh, races or four or five times a year at the same track Nice. Westwood Motor Motorcycle Racing Club, yeah, WMRC. They do all kinds of lapping days as well, practice days. And, yeah. Yeah. So if you guys want more information, you listeners, it is the Sports Car Club of BC, sccbc.net. Correct. That's the website. You can go check them out. You actually have, to, to on the on the, on that notice, you have uh, your first kind of races coming up this weekend. We here do. in Mission, so that's going, uh, uh, ironically, you know, the opening of F1 comes back to the opening of races again. It's a yes. it's a sign sign of the universe that racing, it's the racing season started. So your first <laughs> race, in is, first race <laughs> is April 30th, which is this coming Sunday. Uh, and then you have one pretty much every single 
uh, end of the month weekend, it looks like, or kind of around that time, except for one, which is your big race of, of the season, the historic motor race on May 13th and 14th. Correct. So what's the turnout like for that coming up? How are you preparing for it? Uh, regi- is registration still open for these races, or is there kind of a closed-off date by now that uh, you missed the chance? Mm-hmm. So uh, how can people get more involved if you have – if you just have a Porsche lying around in your garage and you need to race it someday – these are the races to go to. So how, how, how do we get involved with that? I'm not sure about the analogy there, but if you, why is it always a Porsche? I, I don't know. Understand. It's because I'm on your website right now, and <laughs> there's a he's bunch. He's obsessed. Okay. Yeah. You um, know, I just I saw a video on on like. Uh, on was a, it of a Cayenne? No, it was uh, of the 993. Someone did a uh, <laughs> someone redid the 993 body to be, to look more like a 911 and really built rebuilt the engine design. It's a beautifully handcraft, beautiful a beautiful crafted car, and that's what's come up. And then on your website, every other picture is a Porsche racing because it's just such an iconic race car. So that's mm. why I said that this time, not just because I'm okay. a fan. Our first race weekend is this weekend. We have Friday practice day. Uh, obviously, you have to be qualified. You have to have the license and so forth. Um, then the racing is on Saturday and Sunday. Um, there'll probably be a few less people at our event than the Formula One event, but and we're not on television either. So you have to come <laughs> to the track <laughs> to watch us. I can't wait. I'm going to be there. But then the VCHMR, the uh, vintage race, comes up in the middle of May. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's probably a... a best attended it's actually run by the vintage club sports car club assists and and we help out our corner workers and so forth and our equipment radios you know we help out the vintage club but it's actually their event Um, and they have static displays they have what they call the field of dreams you can come your Porsche owners can come and line up their nice little Porsches and (laughs) if they if they're lucky enough we we do a lunchtime parade we take them out on the track under very controlled conditions, we give them a couple of laps of the track so they can actually get an experience of being on the track. It's not, and I, I uh, you know, making it clear, it's not at racing speeds. It's just a mm-hmm. tour around the track. Yeah, safety car style. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. then there's a lot, a lot, you know, people just bring their cars to put in the parking lot. That's It's fun just to come and look at the cars on the vintage weekend. Mm-hmm. Do you get ever, ever get some ones that are, like, you almost forgot that that car existed? That just shows up, like, oh my gosh, someone still has this this vehicle. Oh, Kick it around. We have in the past had that. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the vehicle was. Um, we had a, a very, very old car out on the track. You you picture the the old cars back in the, whatever 1915 with the round windshield. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had one of those out on the track a number of years ago. I can't oh, even remember gosh. what it was. But the, the restorative project on that. What what was your uh, favorite one that you you've seen? pop up there or one that continuously comes up that you always got to make sure to go uh, oh, check the, out. the race you mean or? oh no just just a car when you when you see the vintage cars come in is there one that you o- that always comes back and shows up that you I, I i need to stop and there is and and this i'm sure this will surprise you it, it's a lotus 23 <laughs> <laughs> if you google the lotus 23 you'll see it's one of the oh, prettiest oh, sports oh, races beautiful. ever built it yeah, is beautiful, beautiful. The twenty three B, yeah, yeah, twenty three B, yeah. It is absolutely. It is a gorgeous. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. there's a gentleman one. comes to the track and he's got it painted white, and I. Oh, see the, see the traditional colors are the lower, the, the green and yellow are the traditional uh, Lotus Colin Chapman colors. Yeah. 
this gentleman has his painted white, and I keep telling him, like, it's a beautiful car. Just paint it the right colors. Yeah, paint it British racing green, please. Yeah. And I the yellow stripe. Yeah, the yellow stripe. How much percentage do you gather as Bondo? Oh. <laughs> That's always my wondering with uh, restorative cars. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, if they're properly restored, it will be next to zero. That is true. Mm. They mm-hmm. they get them so accurate, and what they uh, I mean, I'm not a body man certainly, and I, I hate body work, but the little fine imperfections they usually take out with a, a different material. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say lead. It used to be lead. Maybe they don't use that anymore. But uh, mm. probably not. Probably I, don't know. I had a friend who was uh, a body work man, mm-hmm. and uh, and he tried to teach me a bit, but it just it wasn't. I can't. Wasn't stand my the, cup of I tea. Can't stand the dust. Yeah. I, I just can't mm-hmm. stand that. Mm-hmm. Do you do you get out racing much these days still, or you, you every, every race weekend? There you go. Race weekend. So yeah, I, I have a new car coming out. I showed you the picture. I've got my uh, vintage Legrand coming out. Yes, we will. It's we a will. Formula Ford. We will have to talk about that in in just a bit here. We'll we'll get to there because I wanted to you. You know, we've talked a, a bit of, a bit of times so before we were uh, recording. You actually showed Mary Andre a picture of the racetrack, mm. and you've been this your specific events. Your races have been at mission mm-hmm. for the entirety of the 25 years you've been you've been there most yeah, of the, the time first, the first driver training i think was 1994 yeah. and even though you're a might, might be a little biased as you race around it so much but you mentioned you've been to a lot of tracks across the west mm-hmm. and and that but and you love this one this this mission race track i i do i mean it's, it's the local track i mean i only live 10 minutes from the track <laughs> yeah and, and <laughs> that as helps a, as a kid all i ever wanted to do was race and go to the racetrack and l- literally living the dream now so yeah yeah so start here uh, we have a little picture of the, of the track right now into turn one and two i'd, mm-hmm. I'd love that it, it looks such, it's such a it looks so confined but it also looks so um, it's two technical. Point, 2.2 kilometers, and yeah. technical is exactly the word for it. I was just talking to some people uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. Uh, no, excuse me, on um, two days ago. They, w- they were coming there for a lapping day, and mm-hmm. uh, I was explaining to them, take it easy, you know, don't try and set any lap records, just get out there and try and learn the track. And I said the same thing to, to them as I say to you. If you think it's easy, just rent a race car come out here and show us how uh, how consistently you can get around the track mm-hmm. because a consistent good driver can get around the track within at least one second a lap so if you're doing a, a one minute 20 lap you should be able to do a 121 a 199 a 122 you should be that consistent mm-hmm. obviously it will vary during a race because of who else is out there and so forth but you should be able to get that consistent at that track, at the Mission track, it is as difficult as Laguna Seca, Sonoma, Portland, Seattle. It is as difficult because each corner is different. One mistake and, you know, there goes that lap. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so I see you have the Greg Moore turn, the Cascade mm-hmm. corners, and mm-hmm. that's always kind of fascinating to me because you, you when you watch an F1, you have all these classic names, you know, yeah. Silverstone with Cobbs and that. How do how do racetracks even get their name the corner names like is there is it usually a sponsors yeah is well, it really a sponsor or is it just someone who was luckily unlucky enough to go off at that time the most and like that's your corner man until he and, he, and that's it or just someone who takes that corner so perfectly that you have to name it after them <laughs> or or the designer of the track themselves is it a that, bit of that or 
That would be confusing because after like 50 years, right, you know that the corner is called like the, the Tsunoda corner. But was it because he kept like going off the corner or was it because he kept taking it like a champ? Maybe maybe that's the point. Maybe you're never <laughs> supposed to know. Maybe he goes off the corner so much that Spinoda eventually gets the name Spinoda, after, gets named after him, you know? Of course. <laughs> I know that's a little mean. I'm sorry, Keith. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's an interesting question. The, the two examples that you brought up at Mission are two totally different reasons. Uh, one is Greg Moore, famous racer from uh, a, a local boy, unfortunately, um, got killed racing uh, Indy cars. Brilliant driver, great driver, very un- obviously very unfortunate mm-hmm. to have a, an accident, a fatal accident. Uh, the Cascade turns um, came about because when we first, uh, when Sports Car Club first went to the custom, and we, I should have mentioned this a lot earlier, the, the whole property is owned by the Custom Car Club of BC. So the BCCCA oh, okay. actually owned the property. Back in the early 90s, Sports Car Club approached them to put a road course in there because we lost the old Westwood track. There was a road course up in the Coquitlam Hills where the Westwood Golf Club is now and all the rest of it. There was a track there for 40 years, started in the 50s, ended in 1990. When that track closed, we had to find somewhere else to race. So um, a group of our executive got together with the Custom Car Club and allowed us to modify their return road. So that w- the Cascade Club out of the United States gave the sports car club some money because obviously they hadn't been generating money when they weren't racing and that's how that curve got built originally it was a seven turn track we went down the main straight right down to the end we turned left at what is now our turn three used Mm. to be turn one we came up through the cascade curves up through what would have been five six and seven and then back down the straight then the track got modified um, at turn eight and nine. That got modified. I can't remember which year. But then the new turn one, which went to one and two and along the slough, that got modified in 2001, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the so turn one and turn two is the Greg Morton corner. Greg Moore uh, that, is turn that, two. Yeah. 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 So let's say a new racer who happens to go by the name Taryn uh, wants to try and, and start take it, do some hot laps around here. Where where are you going to coach me? Where's the key section of this track that if you don't ace this, you're not going to get that 120? The, the first most important thing is when you go out of the pre-grid onto the hot pit lane, you know which lane to go in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's uh, the first thing. <laughs> okay. I, th- I think now you once you're out on the track. <laughs> yeah. I know that Logan Sargent got a time dock for being in the wrong lane, but I think I can do that. I think I can. Can you? I think I can, can get the right one. You'd it depends if they're amazed. all the same color. Look, I'm not colorblind, so You'd we're going to. You'd be amazed how many people go down the wrong lane, and we tell them time. Not the racers, but the people that turn up to do the lapping. Yeah. And the driver school people. Um, we have to tell them time and time again. Middle lane is to go back in the paddock. Right lane is to park, check tire pressures or whatever, change drivers. Mm-hmm. Left lane is the only one you should be in to go out on the track. Okay, so left lane it is. All right. After that, once you get to turn one, they're all important. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, we're, well I was going to lose the key. Where's the, where's the section that you, that you, or do you have a favorite section that you absolutely love acing that you can get, you can go through and you can come out of the last turn and go like, I aced that one. This turn, is going to be good. 
well, I don't ace many, but I get close. No, we'll say you ace them. Okay. Coming out of turns eight and nine onto the main straightaway, that is where you lose or gain the most time of any of the corners on the track. The most important one is getting the highest speed coming out onto the longest straight. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, faster you enter the straight, the faster you get down it. That's the most important. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there you go, folks, for those who have, who need it. Turn eight and nine, the most important one for those who are coming up on the race day that's coming up this weekend. Well, we are back here. This is, of course, a Formula One podcast, so we're back to talking about Formula One again. Keith, you uh, just gave us a, a bombshell. To, to You just dropped one on us that's saying that you're not a big fan of this, this new aerodynamics that's that's in the race today. Like, it's a lot of fun. It's, you, you love the sport no matter what, but... What about you? You mentioned you had a good, good point. Actually, just it's not beneficial to for for production cars, and you get different types of racing out of less aerodynamics cars. So, like a lot of people who are, that I've know lo- who are getting into the sport mm-hmm. love that there's so much aerodynamic science behind this, and that it's, it it is fascinating to see how the aerodynamics of race cars work. But you're not a fan of this, no. From from a driving point of view, I mean, back in the Schumacher days when uh, you went to a, a uh, Japanese track like Suzuka, and and or um, in Brazil where you go through the uh, the the center curves, the center curve, you see those cars go through those curves. They they're like a model car stuck to the track. There's no movement in the car. They just drive them at, at unbelievable speeds, unnaturally. Mm-hmm. Now. To do away with all the aerodynamics? No, I, I wouldn't do that. But to the degree that aerodynamics are so important nowadays, I, I just, like I say, it's of no benefit to anybody. It's extremely expensive, huge amounts of money spent on wind tunnels and development of the cars. You know, you've got a modification to the car that's like two centimeters, and all of a sudden that car is three-tenths of a lap faster than anybody else's. Which is what we're seeing right now these it's days, exactly right? Exactly what you're seeing. And, you know, there's a couple um, team principals, uh, especially, you know, Zach Brown at McLaren and uh, uh, Franz uh, Toast for uh, Al- Al- AlphaTauri has, has mm-hmm. commented on the fact mm-hmm. that it is so expensive for them to rent their wind tunnels. And yeah. if you do not have a wind tunnel in-house, mm-hmm. you are leagues behind. Well, and then they, then they come out with the cost cap, you know. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That is, and we're trying to save money on, you know, like saving money in Formula One is so ridiculous. No. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you got it. I understand the a reasoning. Four hundred million dollar budget for two cars, and you're trying to save money. You've got a half billion dollar um, wind tunnel, and you're trying to save money. Like, give me a break. Just do away with it. Nobody has an air tunnel. The only yeah. guy that would would absolutely laugh his socks off if they did away with all the wind tunnels would be Adrian Newey. Because he can design a car without one. just looking at it without yeah. the yeah. wind tunnel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and well, and Adrian's just he's just cleaning up shop right now with his RB eighteen and nineteen. He's a genius. Now, yeah. whether it's all him or whether they've just found something in the team, he'll be the yeah. first one to tell you that it's that it's a team thing. Yeah. He's but also the first one to tell you that he doesn't believe electric cars are the answers. So. Yeah, well, you know, tying in really the conversations mm-hmm. of the day. But it's kind of like what we're saying earlier that, yeah, there's a team that, that there's a village that makes a city, but there really is a mayor that has to, like, 
Did you just say a village go. makes a city? Whatever, you know, like it, it, it works. That's, that's an interesting one. I've never heard that one before. Yeah, I, I make this up as I go. So we'll, we'll, we'll just. I make does a, a city make up a town? We kind of understood it. So. Yeah, does, yeah. No, I, it does definitely a town does. make up a province? It definitely does. It definitely a neighborhood <laughs> makes up a village, uh, as we know too. This keeps going you know, up the scale, and then it, it goes up the scale until it goes down. You know, <laughs> like this, this is a irony. Does that. a journey start with one step? Or does the step start Ooh. the? Or does the uh, step uh, start the journey? Yeah. Well, definitely. definitely Chicken or the much. egg? I mean, it has to be the egg first because dinosaurs. You know, like <laughs> come on. So Azerbaijan. Uh, yeah. Azerbaijan. <laughs> let's go back <laughs> to Baku, please. <laughs> let's go back to F one here. So we got a great fun uh, race weekend for you. Just obviously in Valley too, but Azerbaijan. We have the first step of this new potential qualifying. That's going to be doing being done with the, with the tire compounds. There, like there's hard tires in Q1, medium tires in Q2, and softs in Q3. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we can't. I don't even know where to begin with that. And then we have a sprint on a street circuit. Which, while I uh, have always been the only voice in this podcast that's been for four sprint races, I've always said never on street circuits. It should only be on tracks. Which, mm. Keith, before we started, you mentioned you're not a fan of you're you're a racetrack guy, which is. Which is the case, but I grew up with with Silverstone and and Spa and Zandvoort and mm. yeah and Monza, you know, like what I consider real racetracks, you know, yeah. where if you came off the track, you were on grass, you didn't hit the wall or an apartment building, you know. Yeah, or uh, sometimes gravel, or sometimes, uh, or sometimes yeah, gravel. definitely not sand, but gravel. Yeah. Right, right. Aaron's not paying attention, so who can't do it? We actually had uh, last race, we had a comment from station manager Aaron Levy who texted us going like, well. How come gravel? Why gravel? Why is it? Why gravel? Of all this technology that happens, why gravel? And then I told Marianne, we kind of laughed, and Marianne was like, what did you want? Sand that just melts into the carpet? That's that's digress the point. You're actually kind of one of... Uh, it's, it's gravel just to slow the car down. Yeah. Exactly, right? So, But Baku, we got a new qualifying, mm. and it seems like Pirelli this, this year really kind of me- has not messed around with the tires, but has kind of changed a lot of the tires. We have new compounds coming in. Mm. Ten, a new soft tire, which I don't think we see the the um, C7 one yet. I think the C7 only might be coming out in like Miami or Imola. I think that's when we first see the new soft compound. But there seems to be this great changing of wanting to use more tires, making more pit stops. Um, everyone loves a good two-stop race. It's a little bit more exciting. But what are your thoughts of this new qualifying? Is it too much change? Is it like does it not make sense? It, is it, would it, would it be too big of a drastic because some cars work really well on the hard tire com- compound this year and some don't at all? Mm-hmm. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Like what? Well, you've hit on my second peeve now. Like using all these tires, and because NASCAR is the, is the worst of all. We're talking about trying to green things. Yeah. And we're throwing away hundreds of tires a weekend makes no sense to me the aerodynamics and the tires everything is artificial here it's we're not back to the driver's talent used to be that almost exclusively a driver's talent was the most important thing it's not that way anymore you know the guy that's that's uh that's planning the way they're going to run the race is deciding what rubber they're going to run on where they when they're going to change what lap when they're coming in so the combination of the aerodynamics and the changing the rubber, it's it's become so artificial. It's like I say, it's just not down to as much of the talent of the driver as it used to be. Now, having said that, and 
right at the beginning, I said we've got some brilliant, brilliant drivers out there. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see some of those brilliant drivers out there in a car that had half the aero that they've got now and make, we'll say, two sets of tires for the race. Done, you know. And a soft tire where you've got to drive the car to the point where you've still got tire left at the end of one qualifying lap, that's ridiculous. That is just totally ridiculous. Yeah. Apart yeah. from being immoral <laughs> from yeah. a save-the-planet point of view. Right. Yeah, This and then that just goes down to more the, the what, we're talk, what, we've always, what we kind of talk about, the, the cost budgets and that, which makes little to no sense. It makes sense in terms of the teams who can't afford the $500 million budgets now have a competing chance, but it makes no sense to be forcing them to use a bunch of their of their now budget to replace tires and to fix tires and uh, to just use more use more of them up it's almost as, as if they're like we're overstocked on this type of con- tire compound just use them up so we can we can get new ones i don't know how that works i'm talking about talking out of my butt there but yeah i, I don't know and and baku is such a interesting circuit too it is interesting right so to, to make these changes on this one on, on for this race I don't know. Does it make sense to you two at all? Well, well, don't they have the longest straight of the whole year? I, I think maybe it, it makes interesting to see yeah. if they get the right tire on for that. Yeah, I'm still very confused with what is the qualifying qualifying, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Like I'm still I'm still wrapping my head around that one because um, I'm confused pretty easily. And at this point, my understanding since 2021 was that the qualifying qualifies for the sprint, which qualifies for the race. But this year, the sprint isn't qualifying the race. So is the qualifying qualifying the sprint or the race? The race. Yeah. The, and the, the and what's how's the sprint being qualified? This, like, who starts? I think I think to a point, the qualifying still does the sprint. That's where you are for the sprint race. Right. But then the it also doesn't qualifies for the race yeah so then what's the point of the sprint if it's not just a shorter race it's hollywood entertainment <laughs> yeah. i'm just so confused <laughs> at this point it is. You uh, know? but to to unconfuse you keith to- you are correct uh baku does have the longest straight on the f1 calendar at 2.2 kilometers that doesn't unconfuse so me that's not the point ever, <laughs> like, we, got, we got one we got one question that we have that distracts right me so, but yeah. no i i really don't know i i agree with you keith it's very much a spectacle thing. I think you said it really well going in that this is very much a Liberty media decision to make this. I, I know there's a few drivers who aren't happy, especially Max Verstappen has openly talked about how he's not for the sprint, uh, the specifically for sprints in general, I believe his comments were about how it's not about the racing, but I don't know. You're, you're, are you, you're not a fan of sprints either? Or oh, no, I, you know, I'm a, a traditional enthusiast of formula one. So, so much of this stuff, and I'm going to use the quote again, it, it's Hollywood. You know, the, the multiple tires, the aerodynamics, the budget cap, which is damn nigh impossible to, to be able to, to cover all the aspects. Like, how do you cover a, a multi-million dollar team and, and find out where they're spending all their money? 
Can you yeah. imagine the amount of loopholes there are in, in that system? Well, we found out there's Already a whole bunch. There's one. Yeah. 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 And then you, even now, you know, yeah. uh, the yeah. uh, Domenciali is saying that there is, yeah. I, mean, I, know, I know for a fact that someone's going to text me like, you said it wrong. I know yeah. I said his name wrong. I'm very yeah. sorry. But he's already said that there's potentially yeah. six teams that are go- that broke the budget already. Yeah. And so much of that, that's the 2022 budget. And so much of 2022 was asked about inflation costs and this new uh, this new era of cars and everything. Nice. So it's all catering. <laughs> then everyone's going to say, I think, I think there would have been some catering yeah, it, comments made. It, it used to be Formula Those good One. good sandwiches. Guys like Adrian Newey or, or the, the, the purists of the sport will tell you, Formula One used to be about the best people with the best budget and the best driver finish first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not that way anymore. It's more and more NASCAR every week. Mm-hmm. More and more, you know, we've got to change this to me. Now, the idea of having the top 10 within three tenths of a second of each other, I love that. Mm-hmm. But it's not Formula One. It's mm-hmm. all artificial. Yeah. You, but you would love it and more if it, was, if it was more Formula One, though. So if it was more core to what that, the sport is, then we'd, I think it, unquestionably we'd all love that. If everyone going at the, at playing the best money they can with the best time they have, if they're all within three tenths of a second of each other and it's mm. to the core of what racing and F1 is, but no it, question we'd love it. But it's NASCAR, isn't it? Yeah. You, you know, you've got 43 cars within a second and a half of each other. In Formula One, used to be that one or two seconds would separate people. Mm-hmm. But we, there used to be a seven-second rule. Like, if you didn't qualify within 7%, excuse me, 7%, if you weren't within 7% of the pole position, you didn't even get to race. And mm-hmm. there were teams that couldn't make that 7% because of the driver, the budget, the car, the whole thing. But you did know that the team and the driver that won were the best. Mm-hmm. So and that was just... and. It's so it's also interesting you brought up the point of production cars, right, with mm-hmm. the aerodynamics. And I hadn't really thought about it um, before you said it, but now I'm, I'm kind of going back into my catalog of, like, the history of F1 versus the hif- history of NASCAR. And, like, I've always found it fascinating, the difference between the two, because for Formula One, it has always been a performance thing. Who is the best production of elite cars right whereas nascar was um who had the best tuner for uh for the prohibition runners (laughs) right because that's that's where that i don't know i'm i'm gonna go on a little like spiel here for the history because i love this this little this little tidbit of um historical information so formula one started by a bunch of rich car manufacturers who were trying to decide who is making the best car. And so they would make circuits and have different circuits with different turns and different straights, right, to put different tests on the car, as well as who has the best driver. And then it kind of evolved from there as to what is the most refined automobile, right? Beautiful history for a beautiful sport. NASCAR has always been one of my favorite little histories of how autosport came to be because what what happened was during the prohibition um most people had the same car right i think i think it was the model t at the time but it was some some ford car right and it was the same as the police and so what they had is they had all these um 
mechanically savvy young men who would tune the car so that it would go faster, <laughs> right, than the police. And as well as hollow out a couple compartments so that you could run the rum. And what they started doing is on Saturday or Friday nights, uh, a couple of the, the rum runner families would get together and be like, well, my tuner's better than your tuner. And it was never really about the driver. They would just put a driver in the car and go, okay, go as fast as you can around this cornfield, right? And then, well, they'd all be drinking on a Friday or Saturday night and going around this loop trying to see who has the fastest car, which is why the turns and everything didn't really matter. And they're still getting drunk today on those Friday and Saturday nights trying to figure out which of the same car is going the fastest. And it's just, I, I, I find that so fascinating. But going back to the production, I never thought about it, but looking at a Formula One car, what it used to look like in comparison to what a street car would, sorry, would look like, and looking at the difference of a Formula One car to a street car today, it's astronomical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it used, I mean, they had the old expression with NASCAR that you win on Sunday, you sell on Monday because mm. people could relate to, you know, my Ford won on Sunday and I'll go to the Ford dealership. Bit simplistic, but I'm not sure how well it worked, but they were convinced it did work. And well, I mean, obviously it did for a long time because Ford's like one of the biggest manufacturers ever. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you, 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 you were saying that. No, I was trying to make the comparison from NASCAR to Formula One. Formula One um, was mainly about a bunch of rich people just having a good time racing cars. The, uh, I was over in England a number of years ago, and I went to the Brooklands track. If you look at the history of Brooklands in England, you'll find it was the first circuit race track built. The first race, I believe, was in France ar around roads, probably, knowing the French. It's much more adventurous. <laughs> but some lord came back from France and uh, in his 17,000-acre land built the track in the corner of his property, Brooklyn's, which was the bank track way before there was Indianapolis. Or yeah. He, no, it might not have been before Indianapolis, actually. India had been around a long time. But anyway, he built Brooklyn's, uh, and it was a contained racetrack. And from a, yeah. a female point of view, you should look at some of the history of the women races in those days. There's some really quick drivers. Oh, yeah. Male and female. At horrendous speeds on this Brooklyn concrete track. Yeah. That, that had some, you know, wasn't particularly flat. So, but that, that's the history of Formula One came. And then in 1950, somebody suggested, well, you know, we're doing all these races all over the place, racing against each other. Why don't we have a, a an organized way of doing that so 1950 when the the world yeah. championship started so yeah brooklyn's 1907 first official there you go um yeah first official purpose purpose built purpose built yeah uh motor motor track for specifically these type of cars so yeah, yeah. that is well that's a trip whenever if i ever get to go to england oh there's a trip down that, that way i'm going you would not believe how steep that track is you can't walk up it it, it's like some of the NASCAR I'm tracks. It's, I'm it's seeing, like 30 degrees. I'm seeing pictures here. Yeah. It gets yeah. nuts to think that like the technology at the time that they could race on that. and yeah. They were that. doing silly speeds, too. Oh. Yeah, and yeah they, naturally yeah. aspirated. And they, uh, didn't, they didn't have those tires. You had to change every lap. You know? No. <laughs> <laughs> they had a lot. They had to work. They had to stay forever. Yeah. Um, Going back to those tires, you know, um, I've got to say, 
I'm I'm not as opposed to different tires. Right. And I know that's very unenvironmentally friendly of me. How dare you? But um well no, I, I, I also believe that rubber, like if we really got down to it, there's a a friendly way for us to to recycle rubber that isn't um as applicable with plastics. But anyways, environmental concerns aside, I do like that there's an aspect of strategy as long as there's a freedom with that strategy right i wouldn't be opposed to different tires but i am kind of why do they need to dictate who uses what mm. you and know and, and even the tire pressures and even the tire yeah. pressures like if you're if you're going to give people options give them options mm. don't yeah. give them the illusion of options and, Don't and bring out three tires and be like, okay, you can har- use hard, medium, soft, but really you can only use hard for this lap, only use medium for this lap, only use soft for this lap. It's like, no, just just let them figure it out. Yeah. You know, let, let them have some brains and strategy into this. And especially because I, I'm not sure. I, I've seen the little rumors as I'm, as I'm coming up here, but like I looked up like Azerbaijan qualifying 2023, and they're gonna the, the idea is that, you're you have to use almost a, a new set of tires and you're and i'm not sure how much that's true but what it, that seems to be confirmed across all these news sources is you know sky sports and f1 autosport all that is that they're this qualifying is a one and done you're only doing one hot lap mm. to qualify mm. and you're not going a second time so really you have to warm is i think there's going to be a lot of just warming up the hard tires and warming them up warming them, especially if they're coming on new i don't it doesn't sound like you can use used tires every single tire you use has to be a new one yeah which makes sense if you think of on race day that you're warming up the hard tires you're warming up the, the medium so that on a race day you can start on used and you get the race pace right off the bat and you're doing two-stop races you're switching it up cool interesting idea play around with that but not around with everything at once on the same weekend on this different formula but it doesn't but you know you've brought up marion with me a couple times the fact that that's not really the safest option is to not because they're getting rid of the tire blankets hope they're they're saying they're going to get rid of them in 24 25 so you're just adding more unsafe measures well to this sport and if you're going to dictate which ones to use switch up the order make the soft ones first Right. They warm up a lot quicker. Also, this they disintegrate a lot quicker, which makes the entire track a lot stickier, mm-hmm. which means that by the time you're on the hard tires, yeah, they're hard, but at least you still have like a good amount of traction. Yeah, it's been rubbed right? up a whole bunch. Now you're putting hard tires from the get-go. Like, yeah, the soft ones by the end, that final Q3 might be interesting. Everyone will be at their top speeds, but it's it still seems... I don't know. It's it's weird. Why give options if you're going to take the decision making of the options away? True. Right? That's that's my big thing. If if there's going to be an aspect of strategy, if it's no longer just about the best car, the best driver, right? But also the best scientist, the best aerodynamics, the best tires, the best all of that, then add an a, a semblance of strategy for for like I don't know. I like it when everyone's on soft tires except for one team. <laughs> and you're like, what are they thinking? <laughs> what Ferrari back in silver uh, that yeah. last year where no one knew. No, it was like, yeah, no, it. You know what? It it makes it makes the race for me. I enjoy it a little bit more because I'm like, what are you thinking? Was that also the time where Mattia Bonato left? 
Well, <laughs> like in the even, middle of the race, left the paddock. Like, even, what are they doing? He just leaves it. <laughs> even Bahrain, I think everyone was on hard at one point, and then um, uh, Red Bull was on soft. Oh, that's right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, what's their strategy here? And and you had uh, the commentators trying to break down what their strategies might be. And it's like, I, I like chess. I like strategy. So I'm going to like a strategic aspect to that, where as a person on the side that isn't driving, that isn't part of the team or whatever, I can kind of go, hmm, let me like passively judge these decisions from my couch. Right. Because I'm a judgmental person. And if it's strategy, I want to I want to judge whether or not I think you're you're running the team as I think you should be. Um, That's where I derive a little bit of pleasure. So I am fine with multiple different types of tires, you know, add seven in there. I don't care. But at least give the teams the ability to choose. Don't limit them and be like, oh, well, no, you can only use this tire for this part of uh, the qualifying. You can only use this tire. Also, if they're running in the tires, again, I'm so confused about this weekend. If they're running the tires for qualifying, all three tires, so that they're worn in for race day, what tires are they wearing for the sprint? I mean, one of the, probably, that's probably an easy, like, whatever, which one they ever use. You know, like, they probably, it's it's only 25 laps, so they're probably going to use softs or mediums. So then they're still going to have new softer mediums for the race. I mean, yeah. I, mean, like, <laughs> like, I don't get it. I don't understand the idea of the sprint. Yeah. I, I could almost get behind it when they first introduced it because it's like, all right, you know what? You want to spice it up for a weekend, make a big event. Fine. Have a qualifying for the qualifying of the race. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Two qualifyings really is what it is. Yeah. But I, now I, you've got one qualifying for two races. And within the qualifying, you're limited to your tire choices because you want to have them broken in for the race. But which race? Because you can't have them broken in for both. I mean, you, maybe you choose. I'm, maybe, I'm just, I'm so knows? confused. Maybe maybe you take the strategic decision not to get extra po- points in the sprint. So you use new hard hard tires to warm up instead. And then that, I, They're, I, uh, they're like, turning my pleasure of wondering what the teams are thinking with their strategies by giving me frustrations into what is FIA thinking. Yeah, that's, that's... that's That is, they're just replacing one what's going on with another what's going on, but one is a lot less enjoyable. Yeah, but remember, this is, this is the heart of the conversation. Isn't that the ultimate oxymoron, uh, FIA thinking? <laughs> yeah. That's what Thank you. you. You've, you've seen it all. You've been, you've been through it all. Like, he would know exactly that no one knows what they're thinking. It's just, they just say stuff, and we don't know what to do with it. It's right up there with military intelligence, you know. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it kind of it kind of feels like they have, like, a jar of popsicle sticks of random decisions. Mm. And every week, they're just like, let's let's just see what's the decision this week. Let's let's pull out a popsicle stick. Yeah. And just be like, oh, we're, but we're see, doing this. That, that almost sounds too organized. To really well, there's got to be an adult that pops in every now and then to fill up the popsicle sticks. Well, it's not, it's not not a good adult. He's not been doing a very good <laughs> he job walks out afterwards. No, it's yeah. I I mean, you you really in that in that tangent you say tangent, but really that just comes to the heart of like the question of what I think this Grand Prix weekend has turned into, which is what is going on. Yeah. Um. I 
I've always been a fan of the sprints because I like the spectacle. And I, I just like racing. So anything that gives me the spectacle of racing, I don't care if qualifying was like that or, you know. And I like the idea of it being put in so that you can kind of mess up a grand, a grand slam weekend to, for the number one teams. Because really, it's kind of like what you're saying. The, if, if the sport is about being the best, right, and, and it's top quality, the top talent in all the part aspects of the team, then you really don't have to worry about the sprint weekend because you're still going to be number one. And that's and you know, you have the spectacles like Lewis Hamilton in twenty twenty one, we starting from the back of the sprint, makes his way to the front of the makes his way to the front of the grid because that's just how talented that man is and that car was was so good. You get those these moments and you get the chances for the teams in the lower end to really push and really kind of mess up and be jarring. Yeah, Fernando Alonso had some great moments in the 2021 sprints and great 2022s to steal some points. You get tighter things. But I don't agree with them being on street circuits, especially a street circuit that is so bouncy like Azerbaijan's and so narrow into the, the castle corners mm-hmm. that you really that are very good technical tracks and good for you need to have a talented driver to go through. But that's almost so much risk to do. And, more, and, and like kind of what you're saying, that's just adding more to the stupid cost cap that's already starting to get lower and lower and lower as we go, which yeah. I disagree with entirely. It should be up and up and up. That's It's showing that it needs to go up rather than go lower. And that's, I think, just the point of this weekend is what's going on. Because I think that whatever happens this weekend, we're going to see a version of it somewhere else. Here's here's the thing. I'm... I understand the sprints if they're used as a qualifying, right? And not because they allow the other teams to grab some points, but because it it takes pacing out, right? Mm. And by removing pacing, you do have some people who rush to the front who aren't going to be able to keep that P1, P2 position. So it makes it that instead of having a race where it's very entertaining as long as you don't look at, you know, P1, P2, Red Bull, (laughs) um, the rest of the race is super entertaining. It makes that a little bit more entertaining because it gives people the chance to toss pacing out, go to the front, and then have Red Bull, like, fight back up to the front afterwards during the actual race. But now it's not even being used as a qualifying, right? So now it's, it's, you're just risking having those teams remove pacing and push themselves to the limit, you're risking cars getting injured. Uh, not injured. Drivers. Cars don't get injured. Drivers getting injured. <laughs> cars getting, you know, um, banged up. Um, on a street track, which are notorious for that because of the walls, right? Are we going to have 20 cars start on the actual race? You see, this this is what I think is ridiculous about the whole situation. They keep talking about a cost cap and keeping money down, and they're just adding things to the weekend that can only make things more expensive. Exactly. And the, I, the yeah. I, I I watch Formula One to see the Grand Prix. I I agree um, with Taryn that the idea of seeing another race that's a great idea, but use different cars or something. Yeah. Because immediately you have. A, Again, it's an artificial situation where you can end up with one or two of the top drivers not even having a proper car to run in the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. They should do qu- sprint and qualifying only in go karts. So, little karts. We've, just we've had we've had a couple segments where um, I've brought up you know ridiculous Formula One ideas that will never happen, 
They've all been right. very painful. They've all been very painful. Are you ready? Because I've just thought of my last next one. Well, we only have so much so much time, it's and we have some important questions to ask Keith. Two seconds. Okay. Two seconds. You have a qualifying for the sprint, right? For the sprint, you put everyone in a Mini Cooper, the exact same. <laughs> there we go. You know, and that becomes that like. the qualifying for the actual race because then yeah. it's whoever's the best driver yeah. at the front of the line. Yeah. You know, you could have McLaren in P1 for like half a lap, but still. Yeah. <laughs> we always talk, or I've been talking about back in the day, you know, they used to be, and, and Indy used to do it as well down at uh, Long Beach, or the Formula One did it at Long Beach. You have celebrity racing. Yeah. Okay, so you give the Formula One drivers another car to drive on Saturday and then keep the Grand Prix for the Grand Prix. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Yeah. yeah. See, perfect. This might be Give the them all Formula Fords. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the only uh, one that you have sold us completely on, Marion. I like this that. Is, yeah. This is pretty yeah. solid. Keith has gotten Keith's seal of approval here. So we're good. But to you, Keith, we mm. actually mm. hear it on the F World, on a little podcast here, we have a little, we have a couple little games mm. that we play. Um, specifically, you know, we always have, you know, we always ask. Who's your who? Which team are you rooting for this season? I'm going to guess it's probably Aston Martin and Fernando because you've you've hinted that you've liked it. And as a Canadian, mm. Canadian-born British, this mm. is a Canadian-British team. Maybe there's some things there, so you can clarify. I'm a Mercedes boy. I I grew up with Lewis, so I'm going to support mm. Lewis and and the Mercedes team. Uh, Marianne doesn't like Lewis, so we we're not going to talk about that. You mentioned you liked him, and so now she gave you the dirty. I'm, I'm fine like, with George no. Russell. You guys say how about George? <laughs> George yeah, yeah. Old yeah. Georgie's the best. Oh yeah, no, I'm still yeah. Mercedes Tall, dark, girl. And handsome, can't be bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly, and and Georgie's just such a class act. You know, he's just a just a good lad. You he know, is, you uh, love, yeah, you I love like the George. Guy. I like if him. you yeah. if you can disqualify yourself by helping out another driver for a crash that you caused, you're right in my books there, <laughs> but. I, we we this season this is uh, one of the few times that we get more than one or two rookies we have a, a, a little rookie battle going on we have mm-hmm. we, we call the rookie pool or the rookie poll depending on whether it's or not pool. it's a pool but every now and then i call it the poll because i can't speak english every now half the time <laughs> but we have our own little poll and so we you know we have nick nick devries or devries as marion calls him uh we have logan Sargent for williams um and we have oscar piastri for Mm -hmm. mclaren Mm -hmm. and so right now we are trying to see which one of the rookies is going to finish above the others so which one's going to be higher what's the the order what's the order at the and after abu dhabi uh and whoever loses it probably has to do a little humiliation challenge is going to no 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 there's there's no there's no humiliation challenge for guests it's only for right. me. It's it's only for us two. Um, we have a little actual competition. Yeah. For the rest, we're just trying to see if anyone gets it right as well. Yeah. For honorary winner. Yeah. I, I, although I was very impressed with with Logan's first attempts, I don't see it being him. So that only leaves uh, DeFries and um, Piastri. I don't care much for Piastri as a person right at this point from you know the way he got into Formula One and the way he treated people that had helped him mm-hmm. and I'm not sure you can classify DeVries as, as, a, uh, as a novice uh, I would certainly go with DeVries because of his experience and the way he stepped in last year and just did a brilliant job so I would go with him So and you're going to go DeVries yeah. then Piastri. Piastri then Sargent Yeah 
So we, right. you know what? I'm so happy you said that because in I sillily went to went Sergeant DeVries Piastri uh, myself because, and I think that I may have bitten, bitten myself in the ass there mm-hmm. because I think Sergeant who did very well in Bahrain well. was solely because I think that had a lot to do with the fact that he had spent about two a week or two on that track and learning it, and mm-hmm. so far the last two races of where he hasn't had that time has not been doing well. But I'm so happy because you're the first one to put DeVries first. Mm-hmm. I thought Walter had DeVries first. No, he has Sergeant. He's a Williams boy. Ah. Yeah, he's Sergeant. I think it says Sergeant Piastri DeVries. And I went Sergeant DeVries Piastri. One of the two. Or, or and then I went Piastri, Sergeant DeVries. DeVries yeah. Okay, yes, you yeah. are the first so the to first? have Pia- uh, DeVries first. I'm writing this down. So here we go. We can hear. So yeah, we will do a callback on the on the last episode of the season yeah, just strange. to be like, <laughs> see who got it yeah. out of everyone. Um, expecting. And then and then the other one that we have is uh, I don't know that we're going to announce anything for it, but it's a bit of a paint pool of which team is going to be the first to start scraping off paint. Oh, <laughs> with everything being so tense of the seconds we know that that paints can give us hundredths and tens of seconds now mm-hmm. a couple pole positions have been determined by hundreds of seconds mm-hmm. the hundredths of seconds sorry mm-hmm. do you have a paint do you, who do you who do you think is going to scrape off that paint well how about this mercedes go back to their black livery and they just don't put on paint it's just kevlar just takes mm-hmm. just take all the paint off oh he's okay you know what they're they're already halfway there yeah oh, okay i'm gonna put mercedes on this we'll see what happens with this uh new beast pet car that's coming up mm-hmm. right which okay we can we we did have on the docket to talk about baku upgrades we know that potentially mercedes has some suspension upgrades coming up uh this weekend that's going to be part of there's overall packaging up to their massive upgrade performance in mm-hmm. in Imola, which I think that's going to be the main talking point to to discuss there at some point. Maybe that's a, a, a talking point. But I wonder, uh, Keith, you emailed me a picture and you brought the picture in. You have a car that you're building yourself right now. Well, I'm not building it. Building, okay, yeah, built yeah, a long time ago. I long. just bought it and I'm maintaining it. So. Okay, so you have a other one. We'll take pictures and put on our social medias because you have <laughs> you not only because. Uh, you, funny enough, we uh, with Walter and I myself, we, we sometimes bring in little totems and like good luck charms on our on some of our episodes. And without even asking, you brought to yourself. You brought a a uh, the picture of your Legrand, which we can't stuff. And you also brought a. This was a ticket. You want to explain well, it? Explain oh, it. okay. Uh, in 1982, I was at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. And that is it a ticket. Was, um, I think 81 was the first year. And yeah, it's sponsored at Caesars Palace. It was the famous uh, F1, F1 race that Colin Chapman didn't go to. He, he actually, from the way I read the story, he was dealing with Toyota at the time, something to do with transmissions. He was wil- working with what they called automatic transmissions, which turned out to be, I believe, the origin of the paddle shift. Mm-hmm. Mm. He had gone to Toyota in Japan to talk about that. He refused to go to Las Vegas because he said he wasn't racing his cars in a. He wasn't going to watch his cars race in a parking lot. That's not. <laughs> f- that's not Formula One. And essentially, that's what it was. Uh, Caesar Palace. Bef- I think it was the Mirage was going up next door to them in a couple of years. They tarmacked a couple of acres or tons of acres of of land and turned it into a. It was it was a, a go kart track. That, yeah. yeah. That they ran Formula One at. 
Yeah, but you. But it, it, very famous. One of one of the high points of my F1 career. I was going out of the back door of Caesar's Palace out towards the track for a qualifying session or whatever, and walking towards me was this little guy hustling along with a big kit bag with him, and I opened the door for Alain Prost. Oh, no, no way. My hero. Oh, my gosh. Didn't bother to say anything because you could see he wasn't interested in talking to anybody. He was just hustling along. Yeah, just, but, just Alain doing yeah, Alain yeah, stuff. But, you know, one of my heroes, like I say. That is Great, cool. great driver. Yes, yeah, a classic. Just, yeah. just... Well, oh. you know, right up there with Alonso, but Alonso's had some people talking about his lack of team spirit or whatever. I, I don't know how much. Well, <laughs> if you hear, if you hear if, this, if you look at where he's at now on a good team with good help, he's all of a sudden a pretty decent guy. Mm-hmm. But thank of, of you. All the drivers, I've never disagreed with no, you. No, thank you because you know what? Um, I've been rooting for Alonso. Yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been saying what a great character he is, what a great guy, and every time, yeah. rolling of the eyes from this one. Well, every got... single time, just oh well, you know, but he is a little salty and everything, and it's like no, just give him what he no. needs to no. succeed, and he's a great guy. But you can say that about he's everyone. super funny. No, no, no. no, there's some people who can be even as funny as his little toe. Look at the guy. <laughs> look at the guy's career. And the, oh, the thing that really did it for me was when he went to McLaren, when Ron Dennis signed him a world champion, he signed on to his team. This phenom turned up, Lewis Hamilton, and all of a sudden this guy is in all kinds, uh, Alonso is in all kinds of trouble dealing with the team because now they've got this new phenomenon British driver. I mean, he was, still is, a phenomenal driver. It should never have gone down the way it went down. No. It was so poorly uh, managed by Ron Dennis. If Ron Dennis had taken the two drivers to one side and said, listen, this is Alonso's year to win. After that, you can do whatever. You can fight whatever. Let's get the world championship for Alonso, which he would have won without any doubt. Because if you remember, down at the end of the year, it was one point. Yeah, and Kimmy, you know, I had no problem with Kimmy winning. That was fine, but, but Ron Kimmy, Dennis essentially threw the championship away for yeah. McLaren and treated a Formula One champion like a second-rate driver. Yeah, there was even a rumor of him saying, in the Lewis camp, he was saying, "Our main competitor, we've got to beat Alonso." In your own team, give me but a the, break. Isn't that part of the sport, though? To a point, like your 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 biggest competitor is your teammate. Oh, right. that, that's true. But when you hire a Formula One champion, a known quantity, and you bring in this novice, who did turn out to be a, a phenomenon, he should still not have been allowed to race against the number one driver. Not that year. Fair enough. The next year, wide open. Mm-hmm. That year, I, I think Ron Dennis was atrocious the way he handled that situation. And then Alonso got the reputation there because he essentially blackmailed McLaren. Yeah. Which and they and, bloody and, well deserved yeah, for and, cheating. And, and, gave their, uh, and gave the evidence. Yeah, but they were cheating. And <laughs> here's, here's the thing, right? And going back to like, isn't your main competitor supposed to be your, your teammate? Like, yes, but I don't expect the team to pick a side. Right. Right. And that's that's where I have a lot of umbrage with some of the teams is because it is clear that they play favorite to one of the two drivers. Yeah, but and it's that that's sh- it's 
that's not part of the competition. You don't win a competition between you and your teammate if your entire team is on your side. That doesn't speak to you being better than them. That just speaks mm. to, you know, them not being liked for some reason. And it's it's that's where it becomes iffy. And it's like, why? If you have two great drivers, why pick one of them and back them up and then kind of at, treat, treat the other one like a second-rate driver or like a secondary driver, mm-hmm. right? And I have that problem with Ferrari. I have that problem with Red Bull where they kind of go, and and Mercedes as well. You know, we see it with George Russell all the time where if it's him and Lewis, he's getting told to back down from Lewis. I don't believe that. He, I mean... I mean, the last race, yep. right? Like, they were they were pretty much telling him to to keep pace, right, while, while Lewis is speeding up. And well, he's no, like, was, well, what is Lewis... Well, correction. Correction. They told him to manage. Yeah. Uh, and they did not tell him what Lewis was doing, and George was complaining that they weren't telling him exactly what was happening and was calling back, like, hey, if you... Like he was saying, what are you telling Lewis? Because you're telling him to Matt because he's racing me. So just let me know if we're racing or not. Right. That, and that was the point. Yeah. That are we racing? Because to say I'm faster than the guy ahead of me, but you don't know why the guy ahead of you is traveling at that speed. And that's the thing. Yeah. But that's it just it seems from an exterior point of view that they do play favorite with Lewis, that they do play favorite with Verstappen, and that they do play favorite with Leclerc. But that ha- okay, but that happens that is part of F1 though. That's the same thing with Prost and Senna. It's the same thing with Schumacher and, and sure. Prost a little bit too. I'm not saying it's like, not part of it. I'm just saying I don't have, like it. Yeah, you always have a, a a number one driver and you do have to, if you contract to someone to be your number one, you do have some loyalty that you should uh, dem- like uh, live up to, which is the same thing with, with kind of your, Keith, your point with Alonso, right? If you hire the world champion, if, if he's going to be your number one, you make sure he's your number one and you say a point. And I, I I do agree to a point that, like, yeah, if George has given you lip on on being the guy to let your your number one driver use him for DRS to stay ahead of the number one team, then, yeah, you pull him in because he's not being a team player on that. I mean, I like George. I think George is a nice, fast, speedy guy. He's a, he's a devilishly handsome and, and charming dude. That's <laughs> like, always where it goes for it always, you. Exactly. It's so, they're so beautiful and they keep, keep, keep trouble. But he, he, like, in George, I'm not saying, like, this is where I kind of stand very neutral on it because I, and I, I like to be neutral because George is right. You communicate with us, let him know. I'm pretty sure if they had said Lewis is being told to manage, George would be like, okay. Or if they said, Lewis is being told to race so that he can, so that we stay one two, yeah. totally fine with that. But not telling him is more his his that, his point. But there's a problem with that. You have to understand that everybody can hear what you're saying. So when you start saying Lewis is managing, then the other teams know that's not as fast as he can go. So then they adjust their strategy. Mm-hmm. That whole thing with the radios is you know it leads you open to so many things. Why Lewis? on so many occasions in the past history, has given false radio messages. My tires are going off. No, oh, I can't drive on these, you know, I'm whatever. How many times have you heard Lewis say, these tires, you know, and then, and he, then he sets fastest lap. Yeah, yeah. on yeah. hard tires. Yes. And then, and then, yeah, he and does then, do that a lot. And yeah. then but playing the radio. That's, yeah. That's in, in, Which and is yet another game that should that be part of the game? Well, yeah. I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an entirely different type of question. Yes. Right. I mean, that's the same type of question. But 
and then two, the radio point stuff. Because I again, I watched Australia four times. I know you did. Completely four times, and I, we started it a whole bunch of times and didn't finish it to find because I went back for radio messages, and Lewis was not told on the radio. Like there was, uh, and again, there's some radio that we don't get, no. uh, even with F1 TV, and there's some radio that you do get. But on the ones that we do get, which is specifically part of the thing is about you know uh, strategy calls and that, Lewis was not told you're racing, George. The actual only time I think, and I showed you this, I remember because I brought the radio. I know you did. The only (laughs) time Lewis got a radio message about this was uh, because he said something to to Bono, like, okay, like, what are we, what are we doing here? And he's like, stand by, Lewis. And then eventually, that that was when uh, the Lewis thundered in and almost overtook George. And George was like, what's going on here? And then the only thing on Lewis's radio was when he got onto the straight, Bono was like, well, I guess you two will sort that out then. (laughs) <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I'm going to sweat this out. <laughs> and, then, and then the safety car came in. And the safety car decision to bring George in was incredibly, uh, was smart to do. That was a smart undercut play to do. And then the red flag screwed them over. Mm-hmm. So if anything, you can com- you can complain. Ab- we can complain about how it kind of looks like George talked back. They gave him this, the pit stop. But realistically st- and strategically wise, that was 100% the smart call. And then... The FIA's decision making screws them over. I get that for that one situation, um, and we've 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 talked about it ad nauseum. But again, oh. it's just the overall look of how those three teams specifically look like they treat their second driver and their first driver. It just constantly looks like, you know, um, it it just looks like extreme biasism. Mm-hmm. For right. driver number one, and I, it just I don't see it that way. No, especially with Ferrari, because no, Ferrari and, Saints got treated pretty well. Yeah, and and I think Leclerc's problem with Ferrari has been that he wants the special treatment and they're not giving it to him. I which, think his problem with them is they screwed up so bloody often. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 which actually, you know, in their closing minutes here, but we only we only have like a one or two that you can give us. But I would love to get your thoughts on this, though. Ferrari, hmm. who do you choose as your number one? If you're a team principal, you know, you oh, have science Le- doing... Le- Leclerc. No you, do, you do choose Leclerc? Yeah. Is, is there yeah, any reason it, It's so damn close, but I would yeah. say Leclerc. Yeah. W- why, though? Because for me, I would say science because he's been proven that he has such a grit. He's been fighting his... T- he's always been number two hired in, but always outpaces number one in the end. Um, so, so, so why Leclerc? Is it just the talent that he can provide or... Yeah, like I, I, I love uh, Saints. Um, when he and... Um, uh, Lando were racing together. I mean, they that, that was one of the rare pairings that they just looked like they were having so much bloody fun all the time. But now when Saints got to Ferrari, it took him like a, a good year to get up to speed with the car. Now, that might be difficult for people to understand, but even getting comfortable with a car, particularly an open-wheel car, is extremely difficult. There, is, there are so many tiny things. And I mean, Lewis has been complaining lately about the seat position. And, I, you know, a lot of the people that don't like Lewis say, yeah, what's he complaining about? When it is extremely difficult. When you're talking about cars that are drawing 5G and you're braking that hard and turning that hard, just being comfortable in the car is important. So now Saints has got, he, he's not quite as consistent as, as Charles. That, that would be my main argument. Uh, on the day, I think he's probably as fast, mm-hmm. but just not quite as consistent. Yeah, Charles always seems to out him in that. Mm. Well, unfortunately... 
uh, with that note and those kind of comments, because I'm going to write them down because yeah. we we do watch and see who which who which of our guests choose science with Leclerc because that is a big question at Ferrari. Who really knows what's going on? What but I want to see is a decent person running their strategy. <laughs> me, me too. That'd out be, of all, out of that'd all be the, something. Yeah, that's that's a wish. That's that's yeah, a yeah. get get a get a magic genie lamp and ma- make that wish three times so it happens. Just one last point about Alonso. Remember the uh, race that the strategy for Ferrari screwed Alonso out of a world championship. Oh. They brought him in and then stuck him out behind the Russian driver. Yeah, <laughs> who he couldn't get past. Yeah. yeah, that cost him the world championship. That, that was the strategy. Of he's had a lot of really bad cards dealt to him. Apparently, he was only he's only a total of five points. If he had gotten five more points, yeah. he would have gotten yeah. a five. He'd been five time world champion. And that's yeah. that's Which what I'm loving about this season mm. is just seeing yeah. him yeah. lit up. Yeah, and so excited yeah. about having a good car, a good partner, a good team. He is writing yep. that dream this year, and it's made me kind of, you know what? Mm. For this season, I'm not just a Mercedes girl. Yeah. Everyone's of everyone, and this 2023 is the year of Darth Alonso. We can all love that, but woulda, coulda, shoulda, Alonso. Oh, excuse me, um, <laughs> Alan, Alan Prost. You look back at the amount of times he finished second once by half a point. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Good times. Well, that's just what we love here in the F world and F1 racing. So that's going to be us for today. You can always find us uh, and tune in live on civl.ca and Civil Radio 101.7 FM. And you can find us on demand on Spotify just by searching up the F world. And you can also reach out to us and talk to us on Twitter at the F world underscore underscore pod and Instagram, the F world dot pod, as well as email through the same way, the F world dot pod at gmail.com. Please connect with us and reach out to us through our discord. Would you just search through the F world? It's also on all of our links in the bios and our, all of our social medias, Marianne. It's been such a fun, it's been nice to, to return to talk about racing. It has. Oh, my it gosh, has. I can't Absolutely. Wait. Yeah. Don't be, don't be afraid to tune in, tune in over the weekend. And no, I'll, tune in. Yeah, tune in. Tune in over the weekend when we talk about uh, qualifying in the sprint, as well as next Monday at 1 o'clock here on Silver Radio. Follow us here on Death World. We're yours in racing. Toodles.